And this is what the three P's is. It is a simple heuristic filter. It is a, it is a lens that you can look at your life through to say, at any given time, if I am not moving my life forward physically, personally, or professionally, then I am somewhere between wasting time and killing myself slowly. And that's it. Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast. I'm your host, Michael McKinney. My guest today is Jeff Lerner. After a decade of building multiple online businesses to over eight figures and twice landing on Inc. 5000, Jeff turned his focus to educating and inspiring entrepreneurs about the power of digital business. In 2019, he founded Entree. Entree Institute's mission is to provide a complete ecosystem to create a new generation of entrepreneurs. He has taken his story and the lessons he has learned and compiled them into a solid bestseller titled Unlock Your Potential, The Ultimate Guide for Creating Your Dream Life in the Modern World. It resonates with many of the frustrations people are faced with in our time. Today, we will talk to Jeff about how we can unlock our potential to take advantage of the opportunities available now in the new economy. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. So glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. Now, your book, I have to say, is jam-packed with ideas and guidance you didn't hold back. In it, we quickly learned that the system is broken. The American dream and the promise of Western-style capitalism are no longer in reach of the average person. You say about 50% of college graduates regret investing in a degree, over 85% of Americans don't like their jobs, and two-thirds of Americans are unable to retire. What has happened? Why are the traditional paths to the American dream failing now? Well, I think it's, you know, gosh, that's a really big opening question. It, it is. It's so multifaceted and, and multidimensional and, and really it's, it's complex, honestly. I mean, you know, I think that we have a system and the system was created for a world that for the most part doesn't exist anymore. I think that just like biological evolution and cultural evolution are both, I would argue, lagging indicators of environmental change. And so whether it's our appendix, for example, our appendix is a relic of, a, of some function that no longer exists for us, right? I don't even know what that function was. <laughs> and, and I argue that the borrow a lot of money, go have this self-discovery experience on this you know, finely manicured campus that has all this red brick and Greco-Roman architecture. And like, it, it's not the world we live in anymore, but it takes generations for very obvious, you know, what are very obvious evolutions in hindsight to happen. And we're at this sort of transitional phase where I think that the vast majority of people are basically getting sacrificed in the, you know, what in economics is called creative destruction. And we're the casualties. Like a hundred years from now, they're going to look back and be like, man, all those people spent all that money to get those college degrees for industries that were changing so fast that 10 years after they graduated, the jobs they were trained for didn't even exist. I mean, that, and there's, there's a thousand different statistics. Like even my book only scratches the surface, all 137,000 words of it just scratches the surface of what's going to be so obvious a hundred or 50 years from now. But you know, it's hard to, to see the mountain when you're standing on it. And, and, right. and, and it's, and it has very real casualties and very real consequences. And ultimately retirement is where 
the emperor's lack of clothes gets exposed, so to speak. But by mm -hmm. then it's too late for most people and, and their life is sort of tragic. Yeah. Your book, Unlock Your Potential, is a wake-up call to the opportunities available in the new digital economy and how we too can unlock our potential. And your own story is a rags to riches story. How did you go from a broke high school dropout to an entrepreneur with over 100 million in sales? Painfully, clumsily, <laughs> slowly. No, better lucky than good, right? I think that I was put on this earth with a certain amount of pre-wiring that's just character traits, right? I have always kind of bristled at what I felt was unqualified authority and, and probably my parents didn't help. I was an only child and maybe they let me have one too many bowls of ice cream and, and, and I, I got used to getting my way. I just, my kindergarten teacher, called my parents in for a conference because uh, I, I went to a private school that was had you know pretty rigorous expectations and standards and my parents were both successful and could afford private school frankly and they called my parents in literally our kindergarten teacher Olga McLaren God bless her <laughs> if you're out there Miss McLaren thank you for sounding the alarm and I'm sorry that nobody listened but she said Jeffrey's gonna have a tough time and she basically said I don't think you're gonna find a school where he's gonna thrive because He's just so steadfastly independent and resolved. And, and, you know, that was when I was five years old. As I, as I grew older, I just, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just absolutely detested this idea that I'm supposed to go every day and sit there. And, I, you know, I probably had ADD and I probably had, I don't know, oppositional defiance disorder. I don't know. I just know that I hated being told what to do. And I never felt like the people that were telling me what to do were really qualified to be telling me what to do. And finally, it got so dysfunctional at 16 years old that I dropped out. And yeah. what I am now proudly and sort of gloriously leading this call for, which is for people to escape the broken system, which is, by the way, the original working title for the book was Escaping the Broken System. Uh, and then the publisher actually suggested that I change that because it's a little too dark, kind of dystopian, right? And so, you know, it, it sounded like a like like Vonnegut, not like Tony Robbins or whatever. Right. And so I changed it to Unlock Your Potential, which is the other side of the same coin, right? I mean, and I actually believe they go hand in hand. That's That is my... My existential frustration is that I actually think the system is designed to and based upon limiting people's potential. And, and the beautiful thing is we actually live in a world now where through technology, through consciousness, through the iteration of, of certain ideals, human beings have gotten to a place where we fundamentally don't want to like kill each other over religious zealotry and clan Real, you know, like my village needs to rule over your village. Like we don't want that world anymore, right? And so we kind of have this common desire to build a better world. And we also have this common language that's evolved post-Freud, post-Jung about self-actualization and manifesting and becoming who we're capable of becoming. And we don't all want to be the same anymore. For most of human history, uh, security was in sameness. Now we actually like the notion of being different and being unique. And like, we're at this nexus where it ought to be better than it is. And there shouldn't have to be billions of us sacrificed in this century so that next century it can finally click. And we go, oh, we could have had that a hundred years ago. It's just, they were just still stuck in their ways. Yeah, I think there is this yearning out there, which is why your book resonates so much is because 
we all feel we have potential, but it's not being utilized. We're just kind of going through the motions. And I remember in, in chapter 13 of your book, you talk about the three P's of success. Mm-hmm. And these are areas of life that we have to tend to and create action around. So maybe you could walk us through those three P's of success. Yeah. So thank you. That's, that's, uh, and I'll say, I mean, of everything that I've come up with, gosh, it started as like, Hey, let me create a, some free social media content to tell people how some, you know, broke musician ended up making money and retiring in his thirties. And then it was like, Oh, people are interested. Maybe I should create a course and I'll sell a a how-to course on how to become a digital entrepreneur. And then people are like, Oh, this is great. I want more specialized information. And we created some more courses and then people are like, Oh, we, we, can we get some help? And we created a coaching program. And then like, we've just, our, my whole business has just been stacking based on demand and based on feedback and eventually getting to this place where there's this whole movement. We've got over a quarter million students that are actively unlocking their potential, escaping the broken system and becoming modern empowered entrepreneurs, but it started very organically. And so but I'll say this, in order to get it where it is, I've, I've almost had to create like a whole new, the word that's coming to mind, and I'm really stopping short of saying it is religion. It's not a, it's like a worldview. It's a set of framework. It's based on philosophies. Like it's pretty dense. I, I've done my homework on this thing and I've been living it unconsciously, pre-consciously, and then eventually consciously now for 27 years. The reality is I'm 43 and I have the, I'm like, I, I was retired at 39. I'm in the best shape of my life. I have a great family. My wife is my best friend. I travel all the time. I make more money than I know what to do with. Like I have, a, I have it all. It's, I mean, I'm not just, I'm not like dumping my chest. It just is what it is objectively. And it's been built on a set of principles that all along the way, everybody was telling me was wrong. Hmm. And not to be, not to gloat, but it's kind of like all the people that were telling me, like, keep your feet on the ground, get your head out of the clouds, stay on the beaten path, you know, walk the straight and narrow, do it this way, do it the mainstream way, don't take risk, be risk averse, don't go into debt, all debt is bad, like all the mainstream BS guidance that I got for most of my life, I finally emerged and like, haha, I get the last laugh, but I don't want to gloat, I want to help. And so in order to do that, I've had to create a lot of things that, you know, frankly, most people don't spend 14 hours a day figuring out how to unlock their potential because they're so dang busy because they're still conscripted in the broken system and it doesn't give them enough time. They're looking for like, you know, and this is the world we live in, right? The six second goldfish consciousness soundbite of like, I need little things that I can try to build a better life with. It don't require much time or energy, which is itself a fallacy. And we could talk about that. But anyway, all that to say of everything I've come up with that people can try to plug into their life and get a result with, the three P's, which you're, you're asking about, has been probably my biggest breakthrough. Yeah. And, and it is the thing that I get hashtag and tagged on the most on social media. Hey, I'm Jeff. I'm working on my three P's. The three P's have changed my life. And this is what the three P's is. It is a simple heuristic filter. It is a, it is a lens that you can look at your life through to say, at any given time, if I am not moving my life forward physically, personally, or professionally, then I am somewhere between wasting time and killing myself slowly. And that's it. Boil all the water out of the pan, analyze every second of every day. And if you are not moving your life forward physically in terms of body, body and mind and spirit to some, you know, however people want to process that piece of the equation, personally, 
which means interpersonal relationships, connection, empathy, thoughtfulness, communication, you know, call it the soft set of skills and relationships and or professionally, which is essentially how we exchange or we deliver and exchange value at the world. And we get sort of some of Maslow's hierarchy in return. We get esteem, we get money, we get some of our basic needs met, we get you know, job title, respect, whatever, you know, attention, authority, whatever people are looking for. If it's not in one of those three buckets at any given moment, like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> life is passing, life is fleeting, you know? Exactly. And that's it. So it's like when you put the three P's lens on and you look at your life and say, okay, either I'm moving my three P's forward or I'm losing the battle, then life gets really simple. And by the way, all progress has to be simple because the world is, is too chaotic otherwise. Right, right. Now, you also add to that then a fourth P, which is a often misunderstood term, which I think people really struggle with, and that is purpose. Yeah. Somehow that holds all those together. Yeah. So, you know, we've made a science out of the three P's at Entra. And, and, the, and Entra is my, my education platform that really operationalizes a lot of what's in the book. If people are like, I love this book and I want to I want a roadmap and I want to support and I want a conducive ecosystem and I want a paint by numbers guide and I want or as much as that can be a thing, you know, on how to implement this in my life that we've built an education platform that my vision transparently is to get to where it's, a, I won't say we'll ever replace the university or college experience, but we'll just be so much more valuable and such a better value than college that most people will be hard pressed to, to go that way instead of this way. But you know, that's, that's big talk, right? So in terms of operationalizing the three P's, we've made a science out of it, right? Like you wake up in the morning, you create a routine that checks certain boxes, you organize your life physically, personally, and professionally into KPI, you know, key performance indicators, just like you would a business. We talk a lot about the connection between business and uh, professional and personal or business and, and living. And that at the end of the day, the more you can run your life like a business, which look, some people have an antagonistic relationship with business because they work in you know, shareholder capitalist companies that are all just about squeezing workers for profit. And so they don't like that sort of worldview of like running a business. But look, I'm an entrepreneur. I've run, I've founded dozens of businesses and a few of them have worked really well. Business is amazing. Business allows you to orchestrate, quantify, and predict forward progress, which by the way, is what most of us are trying to do with our lives. We just haven't developed nearly the level of organizational theory and management theory and process theory in living that we have in business. So when you take the principles of good business and you think of your life and you say, okay, how would I, how would I manufacture an outcome for myself, lean manufacturing style, like Toyota would do it? Or how can I organize my household finances the way JP Morgan Chase thinks about money? Or how can I, you know, how can I import business principles and apply it to my life? That's what we've done with the three Ps. But there's a, there's a bigger question, which is why? Why are we doing this? Why, is, it, is it just so that we can be, if we look at physical, personal, and professional, is it just so we can be you know, fit, loving, and connected, and wealthy, and powerful? Well, no. If, there's, if that's all it is, then all, all we've done is just, you know, frankly, live a very sort of self self-absorbed almost like what what would that be i think uh, the solipsists were like the historical group of people that thought that the self was the center was the only center of reality and that all life was just about the placation of the self like no that's not who we want to be we actually want to 
matter and be more meaningful than that. And so I argue that if you only focus on the three Ps and there's no fourth P, which is the purpose, the telos, the reason why you exist, that for which you were created that is greater than the self, if, if you neglect that, you're just a giant narcissist. <laughs> but if you flip that and say, yeah, I'm all about purpose, man. I'm here to change the world. But I don't have a, a rigorous scientific methodological approach to actually building a better human version of myself so that I can be more effective in whatever my purpose is, then you're just a blowhard. Right. So you got to have both. You got to have the three P's as an empirically valid foundation for generating predictable progress in your life. And then you have to have this beautiful purpose that, and here's the challenge with it, is the world keeps most people too busy running around chasing their tail to ever really figure out why they're here. Right. You know, I listened to this amazing podcast this morning with a guy named BJ Miller, who's a palliative care physician being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. It's like a five-year-old episode, but it's consistently rated Tim Ferriss's highest rated episode of his podcast. And it's basically him talking about what I have learned about life from overseeing a thousand deaths as a hospice physician. And, you know, you go listen to that and I promise you realize, man, I have not figured out why I'm here. I mean, most people, I just do not think we figured out why we're here because we're too embedded in the system, even talks about the system, right? That most of what human beings occupy most of their time with end up becoming pretty meaningless at the end of the day. I say this quote in the book, Mark Twain said, or, or Samuel Clemens said, the two most important days in a man's life are the day that he's born and the day that, he's, that he figures out why. And when you go listen to that Tim Ferriss episode, what you realize is most people don't even really fundamentally consider the question to the point where they're willing to sacrifice for the answer and accept whatever implications the answer brings until they're basically about to die. Right, right. And that's tragic. And I, you know, I can get into why I think that is for most people. I, I, th I think it's a situation where it's not, it's like that commercial. It's not their fault, but it is their problem. And I, I think the three Ps and the fourth P create this really balanced, you know, kind of Taoist, like yin and yang way to live and get through this world in a way that's a lot more fulfilling than any of the crap they teach you at college. Right. Yeah. It's um, you're talking about pulling back and living your life intentionally. And it's a system to make that happen for a reason. And not just, like you say, going through the motions or just dreaming because you've got this yeah. incredible and, purpose. And also, and I say this in the book too, not operating under the selfish delusion that we're doing it for the typical reasons. Like most people are evolved enough or at least cognizant enough or worried enough about appearances or reputation that they're not going to say the point of my life is myself. <laughs> most people don't say that, right? Whether now they act like it, but they don't say it. Okay, correct. What they will say is I'm doing it for my family. Mm. You know, I mean, that, that's honestly usually it. I'm doing it for my family. Okay. That is the same as doing it for yourself. Like if we don't elevate to a higher level of intention where it's, I mean, how many atrocities have been perpetrated in human history in the name of I'm doing it for my family? You know, every, every bit of clan warfare, every, the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Like, I mean, a lot of people do it for their family. There's a, there's a bigger, better calling than just doing it so that your DNA can outlive you. Right. And, and I think we got to get in touch with that or else we're fooling ourselves. You also bring up something then 
Because, you know, when you're part of that system, you get so involved in it and you're busy in it that it's hard to get out. And then even when you're trying to do what you're talking about, you get into what you talk about as lifestyle creep, where Mm -hmm. it's maybe you start off, but then it, it drifts away. Yeah, lifestyle creep is essentially, you know, the system, partly because it's it's in the present in the in westernized economies in the 21st century. You know, it's a fundamentally inflationary system, right? Values go up, paper values go up, nominal values go up, perceived wealth expands, even though it's it's not really. And so we feel very natural watching our lifestyle do the same thing. It feels appropriate. It feels reasonable for life to get more expensive year after year. And I and I mean, I mean real, real expense, not nominal expense. I mean we're actually consuming more than we're producing. Um, we're expending even on an inflation adjusted basis more and more each year. And we think we can because like, oh, my, the value of my home went up on paper 50 grand last year, but the real value of anything didn't, didn't necessarily go up. And especially lately in a, I mean, in the world we live in, in the business, in the book, in the latter third of the book, I go pretty deep into economics because I felt like I had to substantiate a lot of my beliefs and show that they're founded in research. They're founded in a technical understanding of the economy and macro debt cycles. And like, this isn't, this isn't just some guy with, you know, the the problem with my backstory of being a high school dropout jazz musician, I think there's a temptation to think I might, this all might just be my opinion and I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I kind of had to overcompensate for that in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I've studied economics more than probably most people with an undergraduate degree in economics. And more importantly, I've lived it on the front lines of building, you know, nine figure businesses, which is where economics really plays out. Right. And so because of that, just because of the world we live in and the, the general ignorance around economics, which I actually believe is the most important science, even though it's possibly the most neglected, is that most people think it's very reasonable for life to get more expensive every year. And it's not. It's actually lunacy. And when you understand the forces that you're up against just for the basic purpose of creating a sustainably awesome life. That's it. Forget about saving the world. Forget about curing cancer. Forget about buying a yacht or an island. Just having a really cool life that you can afford. Right. Where you actually own your own time. If, if that's it, if that's the, the only thing you're after, then still the economic forces that are opposing you are so profound and most people are so profoundly ignorant of them that things like lifestyle creep seem reasonable when they're completely unreasonable. I mean, if you're not really, really wealthy in this world, your life should be getting cheaper, not more expensive. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of the social media and part of what you alluded to earlier was we compare ourselves and that leads to that lifestyle creep because we feel like we need to be doing something that somebody else is doing or we're not as good as they are or somehow we mm-hmm. missed out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you go read the results of the general social survey, and I actually thought I should have put this in the book. I don't think I did. But if you go read the result, the consistent results of the general social survey, which has been happening at the at NORC, University of Chicago, every year since 1972, the National Opinion Research Center actually measures the happiness of Americans and they publish it as data. 
And the last year that I saw the results were 2019 because testing, I believe, was seriously disrupted in 2020 because of the pandemic. Sure. But you would also, I think, pretty credibly argue that the results were probably also affected by the pandemic. I don't think people got more happy during the last two years, right? Well, in 2019, it was already 14% of people were very happy. So assuming it's gotten significantly worse from the pandemic, which there's other data to support that it has, I think we're at probably less than 10% of people are truly happy wow. based on self-reporting, which, which even self-reporting itself tends to skew positive because people don't actually like to admit how unhappy they are. So if, if we're self-reporting at 10% or 14%, it may only be 5%. It may be 2%. I don't know. So, but I say all that to say, yeah, we are trying to keep up with the Joneses. We are constantly comparing ourselves. But like, if you're going on a, a fitness regimen, a, a weight loss plan or a muscle building plan, and you're like, okay, I'm going to compare myself to a hundred other people to decide what plan I should be on. And the only people you pick to compare yourselves to yourself to are morbidly obese. That would be a very silly comparison to make if your goal is to be in shape. And yet our goal is to be happy. And we're living to keep up with all these people who are self-reporting is very unhappy. Interesting. It's cuckoo. Yeah. So basically what you're talking about is, and what you developed by starting from dropping out of high school, starting these businesses, some working and, and what you did is, is a different mindset. And it requires that we take a different perspective and approach to our life. And part of that is, is taking action. I know you talked about the three legs of successful action. And it's a, some kind of a discipline and a mindset that we need to adopt that's different than working in the system. Yeah, it is. So the three legs of successful action, and, and I think of these, and I don't know that it's a perfect metaphor, but frankly, I've already written it in a book and I've, I've run pretty far with it. So it's probably a little late <laughs> for an amendment, but I visualize it as like the classic three-legged stool. And the reason I, I use a stool is because a stool is something like we don't actually need a stool to stand on. We need a stool to stand on if we're trying to reach higher than we can reach without the stool, right? So it's when we're trying to get lift, when we're trying to reach beyond what we can naturally reach on our own, then we need the structural support of at least three legs under our stool, right? Okay. And so if you just want life to just be as is and you don't strive for anything, then it, you, know, you don't really need these legs. And the reason I call them the three legs of successful action, if you're trying to take actions to move your life forward and, and you want to have you know, a predictable or at least risk justifiable prospect of achieving the result successfully, then you got to have these three legs and they are knowledge, environment, and resources. You have to have the requisite knowledge that's specialized information relevant to the, the task or the goal, right? Do the work. You have to have the right environment for success. And there's a lot of science beneath that. And we we dissect different, you know, different ways the environment impacts you. And some of this is in the book. Some of this we go deeper with in Entra. But a lot of like environmental reshaping is a lot of the work that we teach people to do. It's literally like swapping out relationships. Hey, this person is not part of a conducive environment. And so they are not going to be a part of my environment anymore. And they may not like me. They may think I'm a jerk. But at the end of the day, am I living for me? Am I, li am I living for my goals? Or am I living for their needs to have me in their life the way that I am? Because they're not going to like me if I change anyways, because most people don't. Right. So it's like environmental restructuring and reshaping. And then the resources, which is capital, strategic relationships, 
tools, the right tools for the job. We break down tools. There's physical tools, there's digital tools, there's intellectual or cognitive tools like frameworks and, you know, algorithms and whatnot. And so, so we've, again, we've just basically created this science of how to build a life just like you would build a business. You would never build a business without a marketing department, or you would never build a business without a product that was good enough to not create a bunch of refunds and chargebacks. Ideally, you'd create a product that was good enough to create word of mouth referrals, right? Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you create a life in which you're a product that's good enough to not generate refunds and chargebacks and ideally is generate good enough to generate word of mouth referrals and to try to quantify what that requires as a human being, right? You can, you can pretty much map every business principle over to life one-to-one -one and make yourself better if you just get over the idea that you don't like it because you think it's going to force you to be more disciplined. <laughs> I recently heard discipline is basically knowing where you want to go and reminding yourself daily of where you want to be as opposed to some kind of a negative uh, sacrifice, make myself trudge yeah. through. No, I, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Jocko Willink's very simple statement that discipline equals freedom. Mm -hmm. I, I am a highly disciplined person. I'm also one of the most free people I know. If you said, Jeff, you have 12 hours, I'll meet you in Bora Bora. I'd be there. Even if I had to charter a plane, I'd be there. You know, hey, Jeff, in the next 90 days, let's go hike all the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. I could do it because I'm fit enough to do it. And hey, that's Jeff, a result of discipline. Yeah. And it's all because of discipline. I have all these choices and all these opportunities and all this freedom in li my life because I'm disciplined. And that's not, again, that's not bragging. It's just an objective state of reality that describes every, you know, any person. You could swap anybody else into my life and me out of my life and the same principles would hold true right and this is one of my bones to pick with the educational system is because they turn discipline in particular discipline with with regards to learning and continuous growth into a tool towards the end of comparative judgment meaning we will grade you and we will rank you and we will graduate you on a, on essentially all education operates on a curve, right? Because even if it's like an absolute grading system, you're still striving for a grade that gets you into the college because there's only so many slots and thus the majority will be excluded. And if you want to be included, you have to outperform them. And like all of the discipline, all of the learning, all of the growth, all of the hard work, all of the, the linear directed effort that, that dominates 90% of a kid's energy is about being good enough to beat somebody else when the two of you get compared. <laughs> if you turn anything into a competition, especially with children, you'll beat the joy out of it. And the reality is discipline and learning and growth. These are the defining distinctions of being a human being and not some other primate. We are a love the fact, simple fact that we have the, the cognitive ability to do those things. And we have the, the ability to discipline our emotions and to step outside of self and to operate from a place of superego or manifestation or whatever psychological terms we want to layer onto. We like, this is amazing. And if we don't want to be disciplined, why do we even want to be human? Because <laughs> humans are just monkeys with more options. And we're saying, but we don't want the discipline to take advantage of those options. So honestly, you should have just been a monkey. <laughs> and, you, and you wouldn't have to be accountable to yourself.
Yeah. You know, I once heard years ago that poor people are poor because they think poor and rich people are rich because they think rich. And you devote a whole chapter to how rich people think. And part of that must be the discipline and the nonlinear approach or understanding that life is not linear. But what are the rich thinking that those living paycheck to paycheck aren't? I mean, again, we're talking about a shift in mindset. Yeah. And, and admittedly, it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, politically incorrect conversation, right? Which, you know, by the way, I, I find political correctness about as interesting as, you know, Emily Post's etiquette about which side your fork is supposed to go on. Like, it's just, it's to totally useless to me. And, you know, somebody told me the other day I was tone deaf and I was like, I literally have perfect pitch, dude. Like I can tell you a G sharp and what register it's in You're tone deaf. Like, yeah, I just, I hate that whole way of thinking, but sorry, I mix, you know, mixed metaphors there. But it, the reality is, and, and, and I'm not here to say that people aren't born with very different starting lines and very different sets of realities and, and circumstances and opportunities and handicaps and you know, of course. And, and by the way, that's, that's how it should be. You know, people, people act like it's not fair, but I promise you put us in a world where everybody's exactly the same and every opportunity and every progression is all the same. And people are just going to be complaining about how life is so boring. Like you need, this is, you know, the, the Robbins Madonna's model of personality talks about the tension between variety and certainty. We actually, we, we long for both. We're, we're constantly at odds with ourselves, but anyway, to get back to your question, the best book that I have probably read that really, I would say explicitly and unapologetically and in great precise detail unpacks your question is yeah. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harbecker. Oh, okay. And if anybody has not read that book, it is powerful. It is brutal. And I would love for you to go read it because then you can be mad at him, not me for all the time he spends talking about the difference between rich and poor. But he, and, and, it, and it basically organizes what he calls 17 wealth files. And even though these are not in my book, they are absolutely in my book. I mean, this is the basis for a lot of my belief about the distinction between how rich people and poor people think. And, and I would say, and I think the danger is saying rich people and poor people, it's the rich mindset versus the poor mindset. You know, you can have not a lot of money. There, there have been many times in my life, particularly when I was younger, when I did not have a lot of money, I had a lot. In fact, I had negative money. I was just in a ton of debt. And I'll say I was broke, but I was never poor. Hmm. You know, it's a big distinction. Uh, I sometimes say, but you know, broke is a temperature, poor is a thermostat setting. So like if your thermostat is set to poor, then honestly, it doesn't really matter what circumstances you find yourself in. Eventually you'll do what a thermostat does. It'll bring you back to poor, right? But you could have a thermostat that's set to, to abundance and find yourself temporarily with no money, like I did many times. But your actions, your choices, your behaviors, your disciplines, your beliefs, your energy, all the, all the stuff in your life will over time be building you back towards the setting of your thermostat, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you dig into the wealth files of T. Harbacker, I think he very, very cleanly and, and I think very fairly captures it. You know, some people may quibble with it, but I think it's very fair and it's you know, I won't recite to you all 17 wealth files, although I, I happen to have them saved on my phone and I refer to them all the time. <laughs> you know, that, that's one of the things that I deeply desire everyone to embrace is that 99% of what exists by default in our world is very, very bad for us. 
and literally, if you, if you don't believe me, go into a grocery store and walk up and down every single aisle and try to calculate what percentage of this food is actually positive and nourishing for my body. And I don't think I'm extreme to say 99% of what's around us tends to be bad for us. Hmm, I think right. it's true on our televisions. I think it's true on the internet. I think it's true of our food. And I think sadly, it's probably true of a lot of the people. If, if we just you know randomly hang out with a hundred random people, I don't think that many of them are really committed to the best version of ourselves and supporting us and getting there, right? So that's why you have to indoctrinate yourself so consistently. It's like bathing. You got to do it every single day because it rubs off with the good stuff. And that's why I read T. Harvecker's Wealth Files over and over and over. And I have them saved on every one of my digital devices. And it's things like, Rich people choose to get paid based on results. Poor people choose to get paid based on time. And if you remember in my book, the 28th chapter, which talks about the modern world value formula and helping people understand why they get paid what they get paid. And this is one of the reasons I'm such a, I'm so pro progress is we're evolving more and more toward a world where people get paid for value, not for time, because we don't actually need you to show up and move the widgets off the shelf onto the conveyor anymore because we have a robot or a machine that'll do that, that never gets sick and doesn't have to put its kids through college and doesn't take time off, right? And so it's like, we're actually becoming more expendable in terms of the utility of our bodies and our hands. And people act like that's a bad thing. Oh, it's not fair that machine, you know, trucks are gonna drive themselves. I wanna spend, what, what is it, you know, what is 40 years times 2,000 hours, 80,000, I want to spend 80,000 hours of my life going like this. Why? Because you're scared that there's no other way you could feed yourself? Are you that anxious about yourself intellectually? You think you're incapable of learning a new skill that has more value in a mechanized economy than your simple ability to move a truck around by doing this for 80,000 years of, or hours of your life? Like, no, get paid for results. Don't want to get paid just because you're spending time doing something that in some theoretical future, they're going to be able to get a robot to do for you. Like we have such low opinions of ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Well, you know, that also, that thermostat idea too explains why there are people who are born with the silver spoon or born with resources and they lose it somewhere along the way too. Yeah. So it's yeah, not because because a, a thermostat is not it's I don't think the thermostat setting is about net worth. I think the thermostat setting is about character and right behavior. Right. And it, and it doesn't matter what your net worth is. If it's pointed to lazy and it's pointed to entitled, you're not going to retain the net worth. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we need to do to unlock our own potential and stay motivated along the way? Where do we need to start? Honestly, I mean, let me contextualize my answer to that question. I'm in a unique vantage point, right? I, I founded one of the largest, it's the, it's the largest as far as I know, entrepreneur, you know, online tech enabled or digitally based entrepreneurial education platforms in the world. We're around 260,000 students, paying students enrolled in a little over three years. So wow. as the founder of that ecosystem with all the data and the dashboards that I have about progression and engagement and sentiment. We call it ESP, right? You can see the future if you know your students' levels uh, or your customers' levels of engagement, sentiment, and progression. With all that data, I have a pretty 
qualified and informed view of the variables in people's success or lack thereof on their trajectory towards, you know, getting where they say they want to go in life. Right. And I will tell you, environment is the single biggest one. Yeah. Most of us are, well, we're all products of our environment. And most of us are products of unconducive, unsupportive, unoptimistic, unenthusiastic environments that like us the way we are a lot more than the way we could be. Huh. And, and actually create resistance to the change that we say we want to strive for. And so for most people, it's a, it's a hard reset of their environment. And, and I say hard, I mean, it can happen over time. Mm-hmm. It can happen, you know, like, like most things with human change, it happens through in fits and starts and trial and error. And you say, no, I'm, I'm committed to this relationship or I'm committed to this lifestyle or I'm committed to this community or I'm, you know, sometimes I'm committed to this marriage, I'm committed to this job, I'm committed to this whatever, this aspect of my environment. So I'm going to try to make the changes without rocking the boat. And then it doesn't work. And then you go back to the drawing board. And I mean, we all, we all iterate this way in our life, you know, with or without Jeff Lerner calling it what it is. We're like, oh, well, that didn't work. Maybe I need to try it again with a little bit of change. Or eventually we just stop trying and we get resigned, which I, I prefer to ignore that as an, op- as an option. Assuming we're committed to continuing to try, each time we try, you know, there's going to be two parts to the change. One is going to be strategic. Okay, let me try maybe a different angle or a different tactic or a different approach. And the other is going to be environmental. Let me create different conditions that make my success more probable. But usually the, the environmental conditions are actually probably the more impactful ones. Yeah. You know, if you want to become rich, go make five rich friends and make them your best friends. And literally after a few years of hanging out with only rich friends, it's almost impossible that you won't get rich because their habits, their belief systems, their opportunities, their network, it'll all rub off on you. And eventually you'll just, you'll just be different and have more money. Like it's, it's kind of magic how it works. And and this is, by the way, this isn't crazy Jeff science. This is like well-documented to the positive and the negative, right? There's the, uh, what do they call it? The, you know, we have all kinds of experiments that prove how human beings go dark in light of their environment, whether it's the Stanford prison experiment or the Milgram experiments at Yale, where we're literally like shocking each other to death because of a scientific study or like, I mean, you know, there, there were studies that were commissioned post-World War II trying to understand how were all these citizens, whether it was Germans or Japanese or whatever, that like did such horrible things to each other when they were presumably fundamentally decent enough folks. And so we got, we got really clear on how dark the human psyche can go based on environmental influences. But then on the flip side, there's what's called the Rosenthal effect or the Pygmalion effect, where we realize how positive the human psyche can go based on altering the environments, what it is that the environment environment is reflecting back to you. If you're in an environment that sees you at a higher standard and has a brighter view of you over time, you'll grow up and into the bigger, better version of yourself that the environment is reflecting back to you. It works on the plus side and the negative side. And the nice thing about those changes is they require no willpower. We naturally adapt to our environment. We, we actually have to work harder not to adapt to our environment than to adapt to it. So if you just change the environment one time, then all future time is going to shift in a positive direction without you having to try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you sharing all this with us and giving us a lot to think about. And I'll put a link to that support system, the Institute on the website too. Is there another place that we can go to if we want to dig in more? I mean, your book obviously is a valuable resource that you should check out, but is there another place to go to dig in deeper to what you're talking about? I really appreciate that. 
question. Yeah, the, the book is great. You know, look, I, I think I forget the exact stat. It's something like 5% of books get read, right? Uh -huh. So, you know, my book was number three on the bestseller list last week. And I think it sold 6,500 copies. So we can reasonably assume that 300 of those will actually get read, right? <laughs> so if you're one of the, like, let's, you know, I, I love being on the bestseller list and maybe everybody in the world will buy the book, but I would honestly just rather you only buy it if you're going to read it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're one of the 300, buy the book. If you're not, just go to my YouTube channel. Don't buy a book you're not going to read. Go to my YouTube channel and actually watch a video. They're free. I've got about 800 videos on my YouTube wow. channel that I produced over the last four years. And the intention, I'll tell you straight up, the intention of my YouTube channel, this is what I said when I started it. And I think I've pretty well stuck to it is I wanted to produce a completely free educational resource that was more valuable in terms of a real world outcome than a Harvard MBA. Mm. And yeah. I, I guess I leave it to your listeners to judge for themselves, but I, I've certainly strived for that. And I, I've been told, I think that, that I might've done it. So there's a lot of good stuff on there. Look, if a, if a high school dropout jazz musician can do what I've done, then A, all the insights probably aren't proprietary to what you can learn in a school system. And B, there's some hacks that you probably haven't been told about. And, and that's the stuff I talk about on, on my YouTube channel. Great. I'll put a link to that material also in the show notes. Again, Jeff, thank you very much for taking the time to share this perspective with us. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. Sure. You've been listening to the Leadership Now podcast. Our guest today was Jeff Lerner. You can find out more about Jeff and his work at jefflernerofficial.com. Join us next time for more insights on leadership and personal growth to help you lead like never before.